August the 31st, 1888. The sounds of the bells of the chapel declare 4 a.m. Dense fog pours from the narrow length of Whitechapel as the carriage turns into the Buckthorough. The horse's hoof clatter breaks the spooky silence and startles the rats, hiding in the garbage filling the whole street. The stink was unbearable and the coachman wants to urge his horse, but then he hesitates. Something laying on the ground obstructs his way. He stops his carriage, jumps off the cart, lifts his lantern and shies away. The body lies in a puddle of blood. Next to him, his entrails. The faith of the once beautiful Roman is cruelly distorted. The lantern crashes as it drops, and again Whitechapel is surrounded by darkness. And it will not be the last time it happened. Ooh, I have goosebumps all over my arms. Thank you very much for this fitting introduction, Mr. Birmingham. My name is Mary and I invited for today's new episode of Mysterious Past, the historian of the London University, Professor Stuart Birmingham, specialist for the Victorian London in the 19th century. And dear listeners, can you already imagine about who we are going to talk today. If not, he was probably... He was. ...the most famous serial killer of all time and his playground, the poor districts of London, Jack the Ripper. <laughs> Professor Birmingham, what did London look like at the end of the 19th century? I think you might not just ask about London's look, but also about what it felt, especially what it smelled like. London was a whole different place back then. In general, England had an explosionary increase of population in the 19th century. Many immigrants came from Ireland or East Europe due to famines or pursuit of Jews. In London, all those people arrived in East End the poor district of London. As a result, for example, Whitechapel was absolutely overcrowded. Most people were unemployed, without fresh food, water and gullies. They lived under inhuman habits. Crime, robbery, murder, alcohol and drugs were part of the daily life. Prostitution flourished. Most women did not know another way to survive until the next morning. And as we know, they were the favorite victims of Jack the Ripper. Ah, okay. I see. Brutality and murder were common and no big deal. But why did the crimes of Jack the Ripper then cause this extraordinary attention? The newspapers were filled with his name. And as you can see, a hundred and thirty years later, we still talk about him. Um, that's a pretty nice question and somehow also the reason why I specialized on this issue of Jack the Ripper. His modus operandi differs from the common murders in former London and captivated me. Of course, with a need to know more about him 
and uncover what is still unclear. His murder caught attention because of their extreme brutality. It seemed like he wanted to show his act to the publicity. By the way, due to his procedure to slice open his victims, the name Ripper became established. But back to what I was saying. In total, there were 11 murders in Whitechapel and surrounding. Five of them stuck out because of their extreme violence and similar approach. Consequently, most experts agreed to the hypothesis that those crimes were committed by the same person, the Ripper. In most sources, these murders are designated the canonical five. Maybe you could spill the tea about some details for our horror-loving audience, myself included. I would be interested in the single fates of that woman. Nothing rather than that. His first two victims, Mary Ann Nichols and Annie Chapman, were found with cutthroats and eviscerated abdomen. At September the 30th, 1888, the famous double event happened. Outstanding about that was that the third prostitute he killed, Elizabeth Stride, did not exhibit any mutilations. I assume that Jack got interrupted during this action and had to leave the crime scene, what in my opinion led him to a second murder this night. This sad destiny hit Catherine Eddowes. Her body was found just 45 minutes after the one of Elizabeth Stride, but again showing the characteristic mutilations. Mary Jane Kelly, the last of the canonical five, was not killed on the street, but inside her room, and it seems like he enjoyed it to the fullest. But this time, I would like to renounce on the horrible details. Okay, let's better leave it right there. There is still something left I am unsure about. His motivation. He arranged and staged his crimes so elaborately and obvious. I cannot imagine he did this all just because of sexual motivation or hate against women. Clever thoughts. You have a good criminological instinct. To be honest, there are thousands of motives that could fit. It is hard to say 130 years later which one is correct and because of lacking proof I do not want to commit to a single one already. But what we are able to use are evidences and irregularities. Obviously one of them is the aspect that 9 of those 11 victims are prostitutes. That is why revenge for sexually transmitted illness, traumatizing experiences with women or religious delusion seeing that business as a shame, are part of my narrow selection. Of course, committing such crimes requires a lot of madness and self-indulgence, from which Jack had enough in any case. Well, those sound like very comprehensible conclusions to me. According to my research, there were countless of suspects that were accused of being Jack the Ripper but no one could ever be convicted. But you, as a specialist, might have some more of a clue about the identity of the murderer, am I right? And again you are proving your criminological instinct. In fact, 
I'm a property of some information that are limiting the circle of suspects. To get more precise, a colleague of mine, Russell Edwards, purchased a scarf at an auction that belonged to the fourth victim, Catherine Eddowes. Some speckles of blood could be found on it and were analyzed by him. The track of the DNA finally leads us to East Europe. Luckily, the only East European inhabitant of Whitechapel at the time of Jack the Ripper was a Polish barber named Aaron Kosminski. Therefore, it was not hard to follow his path and uncover that he had deep hate against women. To support our suspicion, three years after the murders, he was admitted to a psychiatry where he stayed until his death in 1919. Very interesting. This sounds like Aaron Kuzminski might have been the right candidate to be proclaimed as Jack the Ripper. But we will never be absolutely clear about that, will we? The chance to find out the whole truth is extremely low. 130 years are a long time and most of our proofs are not usable. But allow me to speak my mind. I think this case does not need to be solved, or better, should not be solved at all. Well, that statement I would not have expected from you. Please explain yourself. Look, the story of Jack the Ripper is one of the most famous and mysterious stories of all time. London, no, whole Great Britain somehow identifies with this mystery. It is like a little secret of the country everybody has his own theories about and that makes Britain so extraordinary. Grannies tell their grandchildren the spooky story of the Ripper as a deterrent. Bands make songs, authors write books and directors produce movies and TV series about him. Jack shaped the culture of this country and due to his fame we recognize that the world needs such mysteries to escape from the reality sometimes. If this riddle would be solved, a piece of Great Britain's identity would get lost. Professor Birmingham, this is an incredible point of view on the topic. I never have looked at it like this before. And furthermore, it is a great conclusion for this episode. Thank you very much for taking your time and sharing your knowledge about Jack the Ripper. You're welcome. I really enjoyed having this talk about my specialty. So thank you for your invitation. And you, dear listeners, I hope you had a thrilling time listening to this talk. For today, this is all I have for you. Stay curious until my next episode. Yours, Mary. Thank you.